Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. That's not fair, Kim. Come on now. She was, uh, we had our sledding over at Kobiak. Kim was out there. And she dogged me the whole time I was there. Pastor, you got to go down the hill. Pastor, you got to go down the hill. Every, I mean, uh, come in here, Kim, so you can hear me talk about you. How many times did you bug me about going down that hill the other day? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she and then she would go down the hill. Then the, the tow rope would bring her back up to the top, and when she'd get to the top, I would just automatically say no. No, she didn't even have to ask. And the answer is no, Kim. I'm not going down the hill. Well, thank you, Kim, and I, I appreciate the the young people from uh, from Kobiak and sending them our our way. Um, you know, last year a group went to New York and. Uh, we helped them out, and it, it was a win-win situation for us and for them uh, in that they said, we'll clean up the kitchen after the noon meal. And I, and I said, well, you do that, and we'll take up an offering to help you guys with this. Uh, it's really a mission trip to, to New York. And so we did that. And where are the guys? Noah, are you a part of that this year, too, with this semester? Okay, so they're doing that again. They came to me the other day. Y'all are going to New York again? At the, in the spring or whenever. So they're, they're helping clean up back there. So a little heads up, at some point in time, we'll want to take up an offering. And that really is a blessing. It's a blessing to them, and it's a blessing to us. So it's a, it's a win, <clears throat> win-win situation. All right, our theme this year is follow me. Of course, not talking about me, but talking about the Lord. And I want to, the first of each month, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a message on, on that particular topic. Uh, today, we're uh, featuring uh, Levi, or Matthew, as he is later to be called. And the Lord went up to him and said, follow me. And I think what he did subsequently reveals to us what it means to follow Jesus. And we see three things that Levi did. First, we see obedience. When the Lord said, follow me, he got up, he followed him. But this afternoon, we're going to see two other things that he did, or demonstrated. One is generosity. He showed generosity, and he showed commitment. And again, I really believe that I pastor a mature group of people, and I believe we have people in this room that get it, that are generous, that are committed, and that are obedient. So to those of you that that get this already and you know this, May this just encourage you that you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing. But maybe you struggle in all of these areas or one of these areas. What I want you to go away with is it's not bad to be obedient. It's not bad to be generous. It's not bad to be committed. The world may not understand or appreciate that, and they don't. So don't think like them. Don't let them convince you that generosity and commitment and obedience is a bad thing. That's the main point I'm trying to make today, is that those three qualities, when you live those, that is in your favor. 
That's what you want to do. Don't be influenced by the world. So we looked at obedience. Let's look at generosity and then conclude with commitment. We'll go through them quickly. We're in slide number nine. We're already there. Yes. Thank you, Velvet. You follow Jesus, number two. We see this from Levi, by being generous to his cause. Where do we get that from? Well, Jesus told Levi, he says, follow me. He got up and followed him. And where did they go? They went to his house where he hosted Jesus and other sinners for a meal. Mark 2.15. And it came to pass that this is right after he called, after he said, follow me, that as Jesus sat at meat in his house. That demonstrates to me that Levi is now being generous. You don't feed people without it costing you. I know that Sharon and I, we love to have our family come up to Michigan. You know, Jeremy, his family's in Texas, and Matt and his family is in Illinois, and Aaron is down in South Carolina. My mom is is down in Louisiana, and it's wonderful when we can get them all together. But you get that whole crowd together at my house for a week, you talk about a grocery bill that's out of sight. Because my family, we like to eat. It's, it's what we do. We, I mean, we're, we're finishing dessert at lunch asking Sharon what? What's for supper? You know, we're, we're finishing one meal and we're finishing supper wondering what's for breakfast. But here it is. We know that it's expensive. We know that it requires some sacrifice. But Matthew did just that right after God called him. Matthew gives his house, he gives his food, and in doing so, he's demonstrating generosity. Now, just like with obedience, Jesus taught it and Jesus modeled it, such is the case with generosity as well. Jesus taught it and he modeled it. In Luke chapter 6, verse number 38, here's what he said. Give and it shall be given unto you. This is Jesus talking. What is he preaching? Generosity. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. What is he teaching there? He is teaching generosity. But he also himself modeled that. And if we're going to be like him, then we've got to model it as well. We read about that in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse number 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. The compassion indicated that he saw a need. And he went about to be generous to meet that need. Skip down to verse number 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside the women and children. There again, Jesus taught generosity. And here he is passing out the food, demonstrating, demonstrating generosity. Now, why would you choose generosity? Because in following Jesus... If we're going to be like Levi, who I think demonstrates what it means to follow, why would you choose generosity? Wouldn't generosity, this is the way some people think, wouldn't generosity cramp my style? Wouldn't me giving to others hurt my ability to live? 
why should I sacrifice for others? Shouldn't others be taking care of themselves? Well, again, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, again, in Luke chapter 6, verse number 38, the words of Jesus, give and it shall be given unto you. Don't listen to the world. Let the world think that greed is good. They will never know the blessings of generosity. When Jesus teaches something and teaches that it is good, you can rest assured there's something good in it for you. Why? Because he loves you. We read in Luke chapter 6, verse number 38, that generosity, the reason you should be generous is generosity has a guaranteed return. He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Also, we read in that same passage, generosity has a guaranteed return with interest. It goes on to say, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It is in our interest to be generous based on the words of Jesus. If you give, you're going to get in return. Not only are you going to get in return, but according to him and this generosity, you're going to get in return with interest. And on top of that, generosity earns the respect of men. You don't hold misers in high esteem. You don't think highly of greedy people. But you love and you have an inherent respect for someone that you sense is a generous person. Usually we will add another word to that. He is a generous and good man. She is a generous and good woman. Generosity also, not only do you get a return, not only do you get interest on your return, according to Jesus' very own words, but men take note of that. You earn the respect for men, from men. Because then he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Men are giving to you because you're not greedy, because you're not a miser. You may be generous and then go through a tough time where you're doing without, but people have known that you've had a generous heart and they're going to give back to you. They are going to be a blessing to you. So dispel this idea that greed is good. No, if you're going to follow Jesus the way Levi followed Jesus, No sooner is he following Jesus, but he's got Jesus and this crowd of people at his house, and he's feeding them. So if you're following Jesus, or you think you're following Jesus, ask this question of yourself. Are you generous? When, you know, do you tithe? Do you you give the missions? Do you give the special offerings? Do you give to people, somebody you know that's, that's struggling, going through a, a tough time, through no fault of their own, you know, just, just going through a, a, a tough time? You know, are, are you a generous person? Because you cannot, be, you cannot be greedy and at the same time a follower of Jesus. You can be greedy and be saved. You can be greedy and born again. But in the sense of what I want us to understand what it means to follow Jesus, you can't be greedy and at the same time follow Jesus. We see that demonstrated with Levi, and we see Jesus teaching that we're to be generous and then 
modeling generosity himself. So if you and I want to make sure that we're embarked on the the greatest life there is with the blessings that come with following Jesus, we're going to be obedient. We're going to be generous. Again, generosity means that when we give, Lord works it out. It's happened in my life a lot of times. When we give, God gives back. Not only that, when God gives back, usually with interest, in other words, more than we gave, and not only that, it's men that will do that. You, you have earned the respect of people, which means your light shines a little, bit, a little bit brighter. So those that would have you believe that, you know, keeping it for yourself, hoarding it for yourself, you know, that you, you got to do that. That's the safe way to go. That's not the happy way to go. That's not the blessed way to go. So let us be generous. And then lastly, number three, you follow Jesus by being committed to his cause. And I told you this morning, a lot of people, not necessarily people in this room, but maybe some, have a problem with commitment. Would you help us with this? Well, how many times do we hear it? But I don't want to commit. You know, I, I just don't want to commit to something. Understand this. Jesus says, Matthew, you follow me. And Matthew follows him. And then we see the generosity, that was the obedience, and we see the generosity in, you know, come, you know, I don't know if Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. I don't know if Matthew said, come to my house. Whatever the case, they ended up at his house. Ended up feeding a lot of people because look at what it says. It says, many publicans, that's other tax collectors and sinners, sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Here, we know that Matthew is committed now because he's got all these sinners in his house. I mean, every bad person in the area now is at his house. In fact, there are people, we're not going to go there today, but there were people that were commenting on that. Look, look, look what's going on here. Look at all these people. Look, look at who Jesus is with. He's with Levi, he's with these publicans, and he's with these sinners. You're not doing that unless you are committed. In other words... At that point in time, it didn't matter to Levi that other people were being critical, that other people were putting down on him. It didn't matter anymore. He is following Jesus. He is truly following Jesus. He is committed to Jesus. Matthew is now like Jesus, involved in reaching the lost and reaching sinners. So we see that Levi is demonstrating a commitment because there were some people that were critical. Just read on down in that same passage. There are people that were being critical, and yet he didn't back away. He didn't say, wait, this is too much for me. Indicates to us that he was committed. Now, understand this. That's what Jesus taught, and that's what he modeled. In Luke chapter 9, verse number 62, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus teaching? He is teaching commitment. 
He said, once you start down that road, you stay down that road and you don't turn back. That is what he teaches. That is what he teaches to you and me. Whether, whether the day is long and the day is hard, you stay commit, committed. But that is also, folks, what he modeled. He modeled it in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Jesus was as much man as though he were not God, as much God as though he were not man. Concept hard for us to understand, but as a man, he knew what laid ahead for him in the crucifixion. And he said, Lord, if there's some other way to do this, that would be good. But if not, I'm all in. Again, he is modeling to us commitment. Now, for a lot of people in this American culture, they don't want to be committed. They don't want to be committed to a job. I'll try it for a while. They don't want to be committed to relationships, get married. What if it don't work out? You see, so when I'm up here preaching, I know that's what I'm dealing with. People that struggle with things like obedience. People that struggle with things like generosity. And people that struggle with things like commitment. But to be, but to be turned away from commitment is to miss a blessing. A lot of people say, I don't want to be committed. I sure don't want to be committed to Jesus. I can be a Christian, but to be committed, that's going to mean a hard life. And, you know, people are going to make fun of me. People are going to, you know, they're not going to understand me. Just like with Levi, when those Pharisees said, look, they're with sinners. And there are some people that say, you know, I want to be a Christian, and I sure want to miss out on hell. But, you know, being committed beyond that, Life's going to be too hard. I got my reputation. I don't want the ridicule. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want the persecution. And that's going to all end in disappointment and and depression. But is that what it means? Is that, in fact, the way it's going to end up? If you decide that, no, I'm going to be committed. I I am all in. Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be horrible? Is it going to be the worst decision of your life? For sure, to follow Christ may mean times of Challenge, times of, of, of difficulties, times of, of, of hard things happening. But understand what the Bible says in Matthew 5.11. Listen to this. And this is a concept that I hope to be able to illustrate to you this afternoon. Just like I tried to do this morning when I said, you know, if you're in Christ, you know, abide in his love. You know, follow his command, obey his commandments and you will abide in his love. In other words, his commandments are loving. His commandments protect you. His commandments and obeying them is where you're going to find joy. And such is the case here when we're talking about commitment. When it talks to, about commitment, look at what it says. Yes, it, i got to be honest. By being a Christian, you might be made fun of at work. You might lose your job at work. If you're at a secular college, chances are the professor will be out to nail your hide. I've been there, and I've talked to other people that have been in college recently who will tell you it is a very hostile place to Christians. We don't doubt that. But does that mean, therefore, you don't want to go there? No, listen. It says in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Blessed means happy. 
Now, it takes a little while to think about that before that makes sense. How can, it, how can you be happy when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake? Do I want to be political here or not? Okay, that's, that sounded overwhelmingly in favor. <laughs> there has been, and this isn't a pro-Trump or, or an anti-Trump statement. And if you go away thinking I'm being political in that sense, you're wrong. But let me, let me make an observation. I have given myself, I said this a few weeks ago, to studying and understanding liberalism. Understand this. To me, it makes no sense whatsoever to protest a president that wants to make sure that people coming into this country from war-torn nations that have populations that want to behead every one of us, to me, that's a no-brainer. I mean, we're not hating Muslims, we're not hating a country, but these countries are trying to export horrors to our shore. And to me, it seems like a no-brainer that you're just very careful with who comes in. Am I right about that? I mean, you know, (laughs) I heard somebody say, you know, why didn't Obama take the fence down around the White House and tell his guards to go home? You know, if you're going to buy into it, it doesn't make sense. Why, why is it a problem for any president to say, these are troubled areas, we know they hate us, we know under the cover of refugees they will try to sneak people into us as they have done into Europe, and we're just going to try as best we can to make sure that they don't come in. Now, can you explain to me how it makes any sense for anybody to protest that? Let me tell you why they do. Because the people that are protesting that are liberal to the core. And they hate Christianity. And they're, they see it as an opportunity to bring other people into this country that will join with them in their hatred of Christianity. Christianity. You take that to the bank, folks. They're partners in crime. You don't understand how much the liberal left hates Christians. The liberal left sees white Christians, for the most part, and all Christians in general, as being nothing more than oppressors. And their fight is against us. And if they can bring in Muslims to help them in that fight, and if you think my views are extreme, I can put you on numerous articles written by people smarter than I am and who are good-thinking people that will tell you what, what I'm telling you. Again, they could care less about who comes in and who doesn't come in, except for the fact that they want these people in here because they share a common goal. The liberal left, and I'm talking about the far extreme liberal left, which is a lot of them, they are bringing in reinforcements when they bring in people that are non-Christian and who, in fact, many of them hate Christians. That's a fact. 
That's the only way to explain it. There is no other explanation as to why anybody would protest what seems to be the common sense thing of saying, look, we don't want what they have. Their lifestyle, their war-torn countries, their poverty, they're, they're, they're fighting with one another. Muslims are fighting one another. You know that. I mean, they hate each other. So let's be careful about who we let into this country. The only way you're going to protest that approach is if you think these are potential allies that will help us bring down Christianity. Now, that sounds scary, but at the same time, I see it as an opportunity. I I see this as an opportunity for we as Christians to embrace the moment and not back away from obedience, not back away from generosity, and not back away from commitment. Because there is a cause, like David said when fighting Goliath. Is there not a cause? There is a cause. I'm glad to be living at this time. I'm glad that I'm a soldier in the army of God, and I am here to rally the troops here in, in Mayo and the other towns represented here for a great and noble cause. And great and noble causes are worth being committed to, even when it may be difficult. So he says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Be it the liberal left, be it the extreme Islam, and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. In the context of talking about people reviling you, in the very next verse he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There are rewards, folks, for suffering. It says in that verse, it's up behind me, right? Yeah. It starts off saying, blessed. Blessed means happy. Happiness. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Rejoice. Rejoicing in gladness. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rewards, for great is your reward in heaven. Being committed to a noble cause far greater than yourself brings great satisfaction and joy knowing you have contributed to that cause even if it involves suffering. Did you hear what I said? There's something bigger than us. It's called the cause of Christ. It's the eternal battle of the ages, evil versus good. And by the way, the left doesn't believe in evil. That's a whole other story for another time. But being committed to a cause greater than yourself, even though it may mean struggle, even though it may mean sacrifice, you gain great joy when you commit yourself to something that even though it's a struggle, will, that will in the end bring great good. People being saved, lives being changed, homes being mended, children you know, thinking right and doing right and, and honoring their parents. So that's why it can say in, in the same verse, blessed are ye when men shall revile you. There are things bigger than ourselves, the cause of Christ, that even though when we are reviled, that giving ourselves to that cause, the cause is, is so great, so noble, so wonderful, that when you are reviled, you are the happier for it. Because you have been engaged in this great 
contest of the ages, this great conflict of the ages. Let me give you a practical example of what I'm talking about. We're almost done here. Go back to my days of coaching basketball, which I did for about 15 years in which I, which I loved. In our Christian school circles, it was inevitable that occasionally we would play some really dinky team. And I was blessed. The, the, the teams that I coach, particularly down in Louisiana, the 12 years there, we had talent. We could compete with anybody. Um, in fact, Brother, Brother Bill, you'll appreciate this. When they came to enroll at our Christian school, the first question wasn't, are you born again? The first question was, can you dunk it? You know, and then we'd go from there. But just, <laughs> just, just kidding. But we were blessed with athletes, and we could compete with, with anybody. But invariably, in all our games through the year, we would play some little school, and, you know, it, and, you know, the... The starters would play for about two minutes. They hated those games. The guys on the third team loved those games because they meant they got to play. But there was no, the game was easy. It could easily have been a route. We wouldn't do that to a team. But, you know, if we wanted to, it could have been a route. And after that game, no struggle. You know, it was just go through the motions. There was no joy or celebration in the locker room. None. And I was like, I'm glad that's over with. But then we would play our arch rivals, Hope Baptist Christian School in Alexandria, Louisiana. They had talent equal to ours, and they were tough. And it was a dog-eat-dog game. And I remember one game up there, Barry Stubbs, a name I haven't said in a long time, sharing one of the best athletes I ever coached. A good kid came from a broken home. He was a bus kid. But... uh, that, that, that kid would give it everything he had in a game. And when he came to our arch rival, Hope Baptist, I mean, he was, he was all in. And I remember he was so committed. We were away game at their court, and, you know, he, he gave it everything he had. We were kind of a one-man team at that point, and we beat him. And near the end of the game, he was so exhausted, we had to literally carry him off the court. But we, we hung on in that last minute to, to, to beat him. And you talk about celebration. You talk about joy. You talk about something, you know, high-fiving and a loud, noisy uh, locker room and then a fun ride back home. It was all of that because you had taken on a foe that was tough and hard and you had to give it your best. There's something about giving your best. Matthew 5:11 Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. A life committed to a great and worthy cause where the struggle may be long and the struggle may be hard. It's all the more satisfying when in spite of being black and blue and wore out and giving it everything you got that gives you the satisfaction. That gives you the joy. The people that pursue the easy course, the people that are immune to struggle and strife and competition, if you will, they'll never know that. That's why the Bible can say, blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Let me read the whole verse. Get it back up here. 
and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. A life of ease, what's that going to get you? It's not going to produce any kind of joy. But a church committed to the cause of Christ and getting involved in loved works, getting involved in the teaching Sunday school, getting involved staying late after church in the choir, take, giving some extra effort, some extra energy, being inconvenient, but being a part of the cause. There's rejoicing in that. Mark 2.14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. I appreciate the folks that are committed to the cause. I appreciate the folks that put their game face on every Sunday, every Wednesday, showing up early, taking a bus out, a van out, I should say. People that are going to stay late after a while, singing in the choir. Ladies that spend a good portion of their Saturday here, you know, fixing meals. They're going to rejoice when they hear, even in the thick of battle, the inconvenience, the extra work, they have all the more to rejoice about when somebody gets saved in children's church, junior church, truth trackers, somebody gets saved in a service, somebody gets saved, you know, in, uh, in my office has happened this, this past week. The slackers, they're on easy street, but they'll never know that joy. So that, that's how the Lord can say that, rejoice when men shall revile you. That, that doesn't make sense until you stop and think about it, and then it makes, it makes total sense. Our theme, follow me. Follow me. Now I want to close with this. I want to ask you to do a self-examination. To follow him, if you're going to be like Levi anyway, ask yourself, am I obedient? And I kind of went over that already this morning. Are you obedient in your giving? Are you obedient in assembling yourselves together? The Lord says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Are you obedient in witnessing? The good news is those are all things you can fix. If you lack in any of those areas, you can fit. Those are doable. Those are fixable. And with that will come blessings. Remember, you will abide in his love. You will be joyful. Are you generous? Are you generous? That's something you'll have to ask yourself. I don't know who gives in this church, and I don't want to know who gives in this church. But you know. For you, if you're not generous in your giving as the Lord would have you be generous, rest assured, you're not following Jesus as you should. Levi got up and said, where are we going? Maybe Jesus said, to your house. And he didn't say, oh, no. He said, good. And I'm inviting a lot of other people to join us there. That's even better. Let me see what I can, you know, run by, let's run by Walmart on our way home and we'll pick up something. We'll feed everybody. Obedience, generosity, and then commitment. Those of you that take on responsibilities and you commit, thank you for that. And sometimes it will inconvenience you. Sometimes it will frustrate you. But you're going to have more joy 
when people get saved and the victory than those people that just show up on Sunday morning or occasionally. So our theme, follow me. And those of you that have committed yourself to that, I want to thank you. And I think the vast majority of people in this room are committed to that. And now's the time. Yeah, there's, we're seeing stuff, crazy stuff we've not seen in our lifetimes. Don't let that discourage you. Really, let that motivate you. That's, I could be discouraged. I, I could be prone to discouragement. But I can honestly say with everything that's going on, I'm excited about the opportunity for our church to follow him. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.